The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Remember that show back Remember that show. Turn on the TV, time was always flying. Why did they have to end? So many shows you Hey there, TV lovers, and welcome to episode eight of Remember That Show, the podcast where we revisit the forgotten or obscure television shows of the 80s and 90s. I'm William Bruce West. And I'm Adam Pope. This time around, we're discussing a pilot for a 1986 television show that never got a full season or even a second episode. It's called She's With Me. But I think perhaps we should explain maybe in more depth what a TV pilot is for those who are not familiar with the concept. So a pilot is a standalone episode of a television series that is used to sell a show to a television network or other distributor. It's essentially a test presentation or like a first draft of an idea for for a show. And if the network executives see potential for the series to be popular, they will finance a certain number of episodes to air on the network if they're lucky, maybe a full season. Yeah, pilots are rarely the same as the final show. Usually things like cast members, sets, and theme songs change between the pilot and the airing of the first episode. In fact, in many cases, the pilot episode is not the first episode broadcast to the public. It may show up later in the series or as part of a syndication package once the series has established itself as a success. Sometimes the pilot episode is so radically different from what audiences see during network broadcasts that it is never released to the public at all, but may appear as part of a box set home video release of the series. Now that we've explained all that, let's talk a little bit more about our personal experience with television pilots in a segment we call Theme Song. So, Will, I'm going to ask, is there a particular TV pilot for a series that did get picked up, which stands out in your mind, maybe is good, bad, just downright bizarre? This was a hard question because, I mean, like, I've seen a lot of pilots. And I've seen a lot of pilots where I was like, I can't wait to watch this show. And then I never went back to it, you know? The last one I remember like that was the Punky Brewster revival. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the 80s all over again. I can't believe NBC invested money in this thing. And nobody watched it. And I never went back after the pilot. But the one where I walked away from it and I was like, they got something special on their hands. Like, the, the most recent one i'd have to say was fox's glee pilot i guess it was around oh my goodness when did glee start i want to say it was around like 2012 ish maybe somewhere in there like i was really big into glee in the beginning because of the like acapella ties and kind of thing to it oh wow it's 2009 so yeah it was glee and it was an era when like the the theater kids were having their day it ran off the rails quickly 
But that pilot, I was like, this is something I haven't seen before. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. But how about you? For more modern pilots, it's definitely got to be community for me. I love that show. And even though the pilot is slightly different in tone as to what the series became, which was something insanely special and awesome, I thought that pilot really just, it establishes the characters so well. It gives you the setting immediately and you're like, okay, this is the group. We know everybody, how the dynamics are going to play out, even though those evolve, you know, as the series goes on. I just thought that was such a fantastic concept for a show that was executed perfectly. But I want to ask you, going back to this time that we're talking about right now, some stuff from the 80s, in particular, something I'm sure that you have studied, that you have gotten into, which is the multiple pilots for Three's Company. For example, like the first pilot, totally different names for the characters, like John Ritter is in it, but his name is David. And then there's Jenny and Samantha, you know, and, but you have the Ropers, you have Norman Fell and Audra Lindley, they're the Ropers, that was definitely in place. And then like they do a second version that had someone named Susan Lanier Lanier as Chrissy, but then you had Joyce DeWitt was in there at that point. It's so weird. And they actually had like the set they would eventually use, but the first one is like bizarre. It looks so weird. I think the first one is because it was more of a direct translation from the British source. It's based on the UK show Man About the House. And I'm pretty sure John Ritter was David. Well, his Jack Tripper was David in Man About the House because the Three's Company franchise really kind of followed the UK model pretty closely. Like, even though we have, like, exponentially more episodes, like when Man About the House ended, there was a spinoff called Robin's Nest. Oh, his name was Robin because it was called Robin's Nest. And then when Three's Company ended, we got Three's a Crowd, which was like Jack with his own apartment, well, with Vicky. So, like, I have seen the second pilot i've never seen the first one all of them are on the new dvd box set but i haven't watched it yet i had the old like anchor bay versions and they only gave you that second pilot and then somewhere they unearthed the very first one so i hope to watch that one soon but right now i only know two threes company pilots <laughs> the other thing too about pilots is you know we mentioned like sometimes it's just like one or two cast members that change and the most shocking ones that i've come across that i didn't know about till recently the first one is the original full house pilot with a different day Danny Tanner. There's no Bob Saget, but the entire cast is the same. The set is the same. The script is the same. And when they decided to let the original guy go and bring in Bob Saget, they just refilmed his scenes. That's all they had to do. But they did a full opening sequence with this other guy that, again, matches beat for beat everything you see with Bob Saget. So when you watch it now, it literally feels like an alternate reality. It messes with your perception of where you're at because you're like, no, 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 this is wrong. <laughs> Plus, like, I feel so bad for that guy because it would be a better story if you're like, oh, well, he went on to star in NYPD Blue for 15 years. But instead, like, 
he went nowhere. So there were a good seven years where he wanted to shoot his TV at least once a week. And then don't even get me started on when Fuller House came around. <laughs> like he just missed the brass ring. It's rough. And same thing actually for Married with Children. So the original pilot had different kids for Bud and Kelly. And actually the, the original Kelly Bundy is this gal, Tina Kaspari, who I kind of had a little crush on back in the day because she's in Can't Buy Me Love. She's in Mac and Me. She's in Teen Witch. Like, she's really like this kind of fun and sweet 80s girl, but she definitely doesn't have the attitude of Christina Applegate. Like, it doesn't play the same at all. But again, it's so bizarre to watch those clips of them and just watch the scenes back to back. And you're like, that would have been a very different show. There's no way it would have caught on without those kids. I didn't even know that until today that there were different Bundy kids. So yeah, now I want to go and find that footage too. I learned a lot today, but it'll come up... (laughs) later in this episode. <laughs> yeah, so it feels like now we are ready to go back in time to the mid-80s and examine the TV landscape that allowed She's With Me to be conceived as a contender for primetime entertainment so that it could get the green light. In the early days of sitcoms, Really, the most popular shows revolved around the nuclear family of the 50s, right? Living in an idyllic suburban setting or a New York City apartment. Those are kind of like the two, you know, scenarios that you would get on TV. Now, eventually, more interesting dynamics started to emerge, especially with pairs of women teaming up for primetime comedy. Now, in the 70s, Laverne and Shirley, probably the most popular example of a female duo on TV just in history. That was great, but then... And getting into the 80s, you had shows like Kate and Allie, My Sister Sam, which we might have to cover at some point. And then our show for this episode, She's With Me, I feel like it's just a continuation of that particular trend. They're like, who can you put together here? But well, what other 80s sitcoms featuring female duos are there that I'm forgetting? Well, that's the thing is like when I really thought about it, I couldn't think of like shows built around two women outside of Kate and Allie. Like you, you got that one. But there were duos that always kind of emerged in shows, especially over time. Like it's going way back and it's a little bit of a cheat, but I kind of think Lucy and Ethel are the first ones in this trend, you know? But then... For example, Give Me a Break. Give Me a Break starts with Nell Carter raising these kids and like they're all the kids of this like police chief and then he dies and she keeps raising the kids. But then like near the end, and usually these kind of switches usually happen once the network canceled the show, but then it got picked up in first run syndication. They're like, let's just switch things up and make it cheaper. So like near the end, she moves to New York City to like chase her dreams and her best friend Addie is there so like the end of Gimme a Break is just like Nell and Addie getting into like wacky New York adventures but then they realize hey we still need some kids so then enter the Lawrence brothers and that kind of started their whole thing Addie is Telma Hopkins right yep. so Addie is Telma Hopkins from Family yep. Matters yeah yep Telma Hopkins has like a storied career of always being the bridesmaid never the bride <laughs> like hopefully we'll get to that but like another example with Telma Hopkins and Laverne and Shirley was in the 90s we had Getting On which started on ABC it never quite made it to TGIF but after 
one season, it moved to NBC, and it was basically the Kate and Alley formula, where you had two divorced women who lived together to save money, and they each have kids. So it was like a blended family, and they're getting into like wacky divorcee situations. And it was Cindy Williams from Laverne and Shirley, and Telma Hopkins as the mom. Interesting. Yeah, and the only other one I was thinking, like you were saying, within a very popular show would be Mary and Rhoda on the Mary Tyler Moore show because they were this great duo but then Rhoda gets so popular she just gets her own series They kind of broke up the team there. So that makes sense. Like, I'm sure there's others that our listeners can reach out to us and remind us about. But I think it's time now that we learn a little bit more about the lead actors of this show and why they would have been considered at this time as viable stars of a network television series. So let's get into that here. Who's our first star that you know very well? Yeah, first up, we have Dinah Manoff. She simultaneously had a film and TV career that started in the 70s. She was Marty. One of the pink ladies in Greece. I've never seen Greece. And during the same year, was starring on the ABC sitcom Soap with her co-star Billy Crystal. She also had guest spots on shows like Mork and Mindy and the Mary Tyler Moore show spinoff Lou Grant. Getting into the 80s, she appeared in the Robert Redford film Ordinary People and an adaptation of the stage play I Ought to Be in Pictures with Walter Matthau and Anne Margaret. She then continued to have guest star roles on primetime staples such as Night Court and the cop drama Cagney and Lacey, another 80s female duo, (laughs) which starred two female police detectives. Manoff wouldn't get another starring role on a series until the Golden Girls spinoff Empty Nest in 1988, which debuted the same year that she became a victim of Chucky, the homicidal horror doll in the original Child's Play film. Adam, where did you first encounter the work of Dinah Manoff? Well, here's the thing. So apparently it was in Greece, but until researching for the show, I had no idea that she was the one playing Marty in that movie. I've seen that movie dozens of times. I was just like, Marty's great, but I I guess she never went on to do anything else. You know, like just unrecognizable to me. And then I didn't watch Empty Nest because in my mind, it was an old people show. Richard Mulligan's just like this gray haired guy. And I'm just like, I'm not going to watch that. Strangely enough, though, I did watch Nurses, you know, that came out of that show for some reason, but not where it began. So, yeah, I I definitely was not familiar with her at all. But you very much loved Empty Nest, yes? Oh, yeah. People who know me know that I was raised by the Black Golden Girls. Like, we had all four of them, and they liked cheesecake. And on the weekends, we watched the Golden Girls. So I grew up in the Golden Girl shared universe. Like, I know Empty Nest, I know Nurses. Like, I watched all of those. Especially, like, later on in Empty Nest's run, her co-star, Christy McNichol, she had something of a nervous breakdown and she leaves the show. So Dinah kind of, like, gets double the work at that point. Like, it was two sisters kind of battling for their, like, father's affection and now you just got one. So, like, to me, Empty Nest is is Dinah Manoff. Okay, now her co-star for this pilot is Jerry Hall, who was a fashion model that was discovered on the beach of Saint-Tropez in 1975 while sunbathing with her twin sister. There's two of them. (laughs) So after just two years, she actually had appeared on over 40 magazine covers and was demanding very high prices for the use of her six-foot blonde visage, you know? She's very of the moment. Now, she was also very famous for dating Roland Stone's frontman Mick Jagger for 22 years 
never really getting married. There was some sort of ceremony that was not official, but she had four kids with the rock star and now for our interest though it should be mentioned you know we talk a lot about fox here in 2016 she married the infamous media mogul rupert murdoch the owner of fox but she divorced him a couple years later so that did not last but as for her acting career Hall first debuted in the mechanical bull riding movie Urban Cowboy, as mentioned in The Wedding Singer, yes, starring John Travolta. Uh, that was in 1980. Then she went on, she did two episodes of Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale Theater. And of course, most people remember her as Jack Napier's girlfriend Alicia in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman film. She had other cameos at this time, like this forgotten film's Free Jack, you know, which Mick Jagger was in also, and Princess Caribou, which my wife and I watched last last night <laughs> but she's a blink and you miss her she really doesn't do much of that movie so i'm just curious will was jerry hall like a pop culture figure you would have recognized in the 80s or 90s recognize sure like she's got that look but like i'm that guy i only knew her as alicia in batman 89 it's funny you mentioned free jack i've seen free jack free jack was the first comic book adaptation of a motion picture that i ever got because i got it in like a grab bag so free jack holds a special place in my heart even though i can't remember what it's about <laughs> i can't but it's just like that franchise like oh it's free jack didn't know she was in it but her face was like unmistakable yeah but i definitely would have recognized her but if you put a gun to my head and said you can't name batman 89 then i'm gonna die so. yeah the only thing i'll say is i knew her for batman and i remember like some like chattering about her being a model and stuff and being connected to mick jagger so i always thought she was british and when you see her in this show definitely not british right <laughs> but now that we know a little bit more about the stars i want to find out what this attempted show really was aiming for where it came from so i say we check out the elevator pitch Well, She's With Me was a 1986 sitcom pilot produced and written by the team of Ron Levitt and Michael G. Moy. You might recognize Levitt as the creator of Married With Children, while Moy was one of the creative minds behind 80s classic Silver Spoons, on which Levitt also wrote. He co-created 227 and managed to get one season for the forgotten series It's Your Move, starring future Steve Rhodes, David Garrison, which he developed with Ron Levitt. The pair had written together on the Jeffersons, and immediately after this pilot had failed to get picked up by a network, also created short-lived Fox sitcom Women in Prison. It's funny you bring up Women in Prison, because that was one of those shows I completely forgot about, and then, like, it was like a sense of memory. Like, oh, when Wendy Joe Sperber. Because Wendy Joe Sperber was like a Fox utility player those first few years, like Babes, which I hope we get to cover eventually. Yeah. You know, so it was like CCH Pounder was in that show, you know? So like, that's one I, I would love to talk about because that's one of those that like I watched a couple of but wasn't allowed to. But like, they definitely had a certain brand of humor and I felt they like put their stamp on the network with things like Women in Prison. And did you, growing up, maybe not, but even just like over the years does the name michael boy and ron levitt like did those stick out in your mind as being connected 
to these shows or anything else? Well, it was always Married with Children because I, I was a big Married with Children guy. Like you can tell like different people's eras and stuff. Like I remember people slightly younger than me would get in trouble for watching The Simpsons. But like I would get in trouble because it was always in the news. It was always like controversial. There's like the episode where like Al goes to the lingerie store and she's like, would my boyfriend like this better on or off? And then I couldn't watch it for the rest of the season. You know, <laughs> so it was like Married with Children that was my thing and then like I recognized Levitt when Unhappily Ever After started because I was huge into the launch of the WB but I was surprised to learn about 227 and even Silver Spoons because Silver Spoons is one of those things we fondly look back on for one reason and one reason only the train goes through the house that's <laughs> it that's really it that's all anyone can remember and like oh that's where Alfonso Ribeiro started yeah that's why that, remembered yeah like rick schroeder's legacy is worse than dean kane's so it's like it's not a show we look back on fondly but we're still like well at least he had that train that went through the house <laughs> <laughs> well and i know so we kind of hinted at this earlier but you and i just independently both stumbled upon this four hour interview with michael boy just about because rod levin has passed away and so like that they really get into all these details you're like wow that is crazy just like all these the jefferson and just everything that he was involved in, like even just like sometimes one episode here or there, or with in the case of Silver Spoons, he said he was there to develop the pilot and then he was out. They Same put with 227. Yeah. Same, because he said that like he and Marla Gibbs were two different people. Marla Gibbs was politically minded and she wanted the show to have a message and he wanted TV to be escapist so that like those personalities did not work. And then he explained why he thought the Jack A. Harry backdoor pilot failed where it was intelligent. He's like, you can't make the over the top character the star because then who's the over the top character? Like if you normalize them, then the comic relief has to be crazier than they are. And then you're just out of control at yeah, that point. It's just like Matt LeBlanc, Joey on Friends when he gets his show. You're like, nope. <laughs> yep. Did you listen to all four hours? No, I did not invest all four hours. I did. Wow. <laughs> I, I did. So I'm bringing some some receipts to this, this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right, now let's get into the plot for this pilot here, because She's With Me tells the story of a jilted, celebrity-obsessed average gal named Edie, played by Dinah Manoff, who sells cosmetics door-to-door in the wake of her husband leaving her for a teenage girl, 18, but teenage, right? Yikes. Now, after a day of knocking doors without success, Edie ends up in the apartment of Maris, played by Jerry Hall, a famous fashion model who has just had a fight with her rock star boyfriend. Hmm, wonder where they got that idea and uh, is looking for a fresh start and the women commiserate about their man problems and find that they have something they admire about each other now Edie is amazed at the high society celebrity opportunities in Maris's life while the supermodel admires Edie's courage in standing up for herself when she's wronged by her man now the pair end up on a double date where Maris gets all the attention from two sleazy businessmen and the episode ends with the model standing up for her new friend Edie and telling off these men for treating the frumpy gal like less than human. And then Maris convinces Edie to become her personal assistant, but Edie says, well, I'll just be your friend, but I'll take the gig. And then they go off to travel the world together. That's the end of the pilot. So is there any detail that you feel like I'm leaving out in the setup there, Will? Edie's circle of friends are 
are all senior citizens. Like for some reason, now maybe this is a generational thing or whatever, but her divorce in her early 30s has relegated her to spinster status where Friday nights she plays bridge with senior citizens in her building. She doesn't have a cohort, so to speak, like a friend, her age, her level, her experiences. Yeah, it seems like she's sharing her apartment with her mom, but then she has a friend who's like a neighbor, but a little bit older who comes over and talks celebrity gossip with her and things like that. So that's the basic setup for She's With Me. We should mention, as far as the opening credits, you have a photo album, but it alternates between Edie's life and Maris's life. So you kind of see like Edie, like, here I am with my mini your figurines you know and then like Maris is all looking glamorous you know and then here I am with my ex who left me and his face is all scratched out you know and then he goes back to Maris with a horse you know or whatever so it's just like that's kind of they're showing the two different you know experiences in life these two are having before they come together and then the final picture is them together on a couch it's like she's with me get it so that that's where the idea comes from but that being the case Will, when we were teasing this last episode, you said you were surprised it was actually good. Let's get into our cheers. So take it away, Will. What do you like of this? I don't see what's wrong with it. This is one of those things, like, you hear about pilots and everything where networks say they don't have space on their schedule, or it comes down to budget, or it comes down to, like, crazy things like that. Pilots get passed for, like, the weirdest, dumbest reasons sometimes. It could be one executive where he was constipated that day, but he had more power. He's like, "I, I don't like it. So it was one of those deals of, like... It seems polished. I don't really know what I would change. I mean, I don't know how long it would have lasted, but as far as like a run-of-the-mill late 80s sitcom, it was fine. It could have come down to network choice. If I had to put this on a network at that time, I would have put it on NBC. It had an NBC feel to it, if that makes sense. Like, I could see this airing after, like, Give Me a Break. This wasn't a CBS show. And it's always hard for me to, like, explain this, but I've always felt like my useless mutant power that would get me murdered in Xavier School is the ability to tell when a show is on the correct network. It's a feeling. Like, sometimes you see an ad for a show and you're just like, that's not on the right network. And you notice, because then it ends up moving. It's like, okay, CBS cancels Magnum. Magnum ends up on NBC and Quantum Leap currently on NBC shouldn't be on NBC should probably be on CBS it's things like that so this was an NBC show this was a 1986 NBC show it doesn't fit ABC it doesn't fit CBS and Fox isn't really going yet and even if it had been it has a Fox underpinning to it because of the creators I could see how they could Fox this up make it a little edgier but in its current form this is a perfectly serviceable nbc sitcom for 1986 right around rags to riches and every other forgotten show from that era just to echo a little bit about what you said yeah the pilot set like just everything about it it looks very well funded it looks as good as any other sitcom that you would see in the 80s like you said but also even though the humor could be a little bit broad. The writing is not generic sitcom or like vaudeville style jokes. It doesn't feel like well-worn territory. 
celebratory. It's very contemporary. You got references to Sylvester Stallone and Don Johnson and other, you know, celebrities of the time. Plus the jokes, yeah, like you said, because the creators have a slight edginess, especially when Edie's talking about getting on the plane to embarrass her husband and his new teenage girlfriend while they're on a 10-hour international right. flight. It's like, oh, wow. And then Dinah Manoff. She is this dynamic, comedic force. Lots of quirky charisma. Like, she's 100% the best part of this pilot. And she gets to do a lot. Like, there's a very funny physical comedy gag where she's all dressed up to go out on the double date. She goes in the elevator from her apartment and each floor, the doors open and somebody gets on with a problem. Like, there's a guy with stinky bags of trash. So now she's going to stink. Then somebody gets in with dogs. And so the dogs jump all over her. She leads up against a freshly painted wall and all this stuff and then by the time she gets to Maris's apartment she's like oh we gotta fix you up we gotta clean you up because her dress is torn it's got paw prints all over it she stinks you know like all that kind of stuff so like that's a funny physical you know humor thing but then there's also little twists on like staging I guess you would say so at the dinner when Maris finally tells off the two dates for being jerks she puts words in Edie's mouth about how terrible they are like she's too kind to say this but here's what she thinks of you guys and then the guys instead of getting mad at Maris who's the one talking they turn to Edie and they're like oh really right right I love that that's a very funny gag so there's a lot of stuff like that that's very clever that I think yeah it has a lot going for it there I also loved how like it's relatable now there are certain aspects to it where like for example the parasocial relationships that Edie has with celebrities through reading tabloids. Like, people kind of forget because they kind of went under. It's like, tabloids were really important, then they got really kind of crazy, and then internet and blogs took over, but it's the same kind of, like, she says that she remembers when Stallone got that stretch limo because it was the day they got their new towels, you know? It's like, she's relating her life to these celebrities, which is what we're doing now through, like, the internet. And there's a lot of things present that didn't really have like a name to it but we have it now for example like Jerry Hall has just been getting by on pretty privilege her whole life so it's like as she kind of tears down the walls there it's that whole thing of like everybody's got problems which is awesome like we're all just people but at the same time she's empowering Dinah Manoff I just think it was a very timely girl power kind of series before that was like the flight the soup of the day basically all right well uh i know you said you might have a hard time finding fault with this show but we gotta get into our jeers so does it drag somewhere for you is there like a certain element of the show that you feel is unnecessary like what can you point to i don't like the old ladies yeah. Like, I, I get what they bring to the table, but it's almost cartoonish. Like, she's got to have, like, a friend at work or something like that. It's not that bad, you know, that you got to hang out with Gladys and Ethel and Bertha across the hall to play bridge. Like, you aren't menopausal yet. Like, go out. You're in New York City. Go have some fun. It's the 80s. My thing, and this could have been intentional, but... If you notice, even though Edie has bonded with Maris, 
Evie still goes over to Maris's apartment with the intention of taking Barracuda Johnson. So it's like, you guys have already had this, like, it's not synergy, but you guys are vibing, and this is a friendship blooming, but it's not important enough to Edie that she's still willing to try to steal Barracuda because he's a celebrity, and she's still got that parasocial thing going on. So I didn't like that aspect because I didn't know if Moy and Levitt were trying to say something about women because this is Moy and Levitt we're talking about. That would be one of my issues with it. I like the edginess they bring to shows, but they probably needed to do what they did with women in prison where they brought in a woman to co-create that because I felt some of the jokes were cliche for the era. It was toilet seat jokes. It's like, I hate toilet seat jokes. I hate them with a passion. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm a slob. I'm like, who leaves the toilet seat up? Who puts it up? <laughs> it's like reverse ring toss. Why would I put the seat up? So like, when they did that joke, I was like, oh, this is kind of old hat here. I think they did a decent job at it, but it is kind of interesting to see a show about like women and women's empowerment with no female involvement in the writing process whatsoever. Yeah, now I can definitely see what you're saying there. Yeah, the misogyny creeps in, which is what they're known for, even if they amplify it to be ridiculous. But I only have one problem with this show, and her name is Jerry Hall. She uh, is terrible. She, she is. is so... But it's a pilot. She would get better, but she is. I didn't want to go there, but... I feel like her delivery is very one note. She always has like, this goofy smile on her face. Like, I'm just so tickled. Uh, I'm on a TV show and I'm the star. And she is six feet tall. Dinah Vanoff is tiny. They look very awkward on screen together. Like, it makes her look very strange being so tall next to her. They're not a good match as co-stars, even in an odd couple kind of way, just visually. But it's not all her fault. I think the Maris character is really flawed in concept because Maris in this pilot, she's a whole lot of nothing. Like you said, she's getting by at her pretty privilege, just getting by at her looks, which that can sort of work as a gimmick for a character, but it's a trait that's not amplified in any way. Like she's just kind of blah. For example, going back to Three's Company, Suzanne Summers was a sex symbol of her time. She's getting by on being this pretty girl who's kind of dumb, but she knew how to play Chrissy as like the sweet airhead. She had great comedic timing. The writers had her tell all these like silly stories, you know, uh, small town life, right? You know, Rose on Golden Girls had the same thing, but. What I'm saying is like Maris in this pilot, she has nothing to build on. Like she's written as a one-off celebrity cameo by a famous model, which is what she was. When they say she's dating a rock star, it's obviously because she's dating Mick Jagger. And like, they're just like, that's something you put in for one episode and then you get the next celebrity the next week. The thing is she's rich and famous, but also impossibly nice. So in other words, her life is 80s perfect. You feel no sympathy, no connection to her. Like that's like Edie has this whole conversation. She's like, oh, you know, you don't have any problems. Yes, I do. I have such a hard time gaining weight. You know, like I see what they're doing, but I can't see how when this pilot ends, they grow in a relationship because there's no 
conflict to build something around like they're immediately friends they're immediately on the same page even though they're totally different tiers of class it's not the same like because all i see is what Edie's gonna follow maris all over the world feel bad about herself as this glamorous woman gets all the attention like maris's whole point is to make Edie look like garbage and i don't find that entertaining like i don't see a series in this because of the way maris is written you can pace it out they do a little globe trotting, a little jet setting. Let's say around like season three, they start a business together. Then season four, we kick it off with Edie getting a boyfriend. And that relationship progresses throughout the season, culminating in an engagement, let's say before the season finale, because we find out that he was really just using Edie to get close to Maris. And then that gets us into season five. I can get five seasons out of this. I think you can develop Jerry Hall because we're too smart now. I, I tell people this, like we want everything to be Breaking Bad and Community and Scrubs. We're too smart now. There was a show that lasted 10 years about an alcoholic who runs a bar <laughs> you know, like, like we suspended our disbelief for cheers it's like oh he's never gonna touch it never thinks about it if that were on right now it would be on like usa and every episode would end with his hand shaking as he reaches for the tap and then he stops himself and they would get five seasons of 10 episodes each i could get you five seasons of 26 episodes with this because we got to find out where maris comes from her terrible accent lets us know she's a country girl so she was swept up into this life but it's all facade like i think she's chrissy snow under there i think yeah she's like a six foot fashion model but i think she could also milk a cow i see it <laughs> she, okay. she is the worst part but i think we can work with her and she's the name like it sucks but like she's the name it's like if you put tyra banks in something tyra banks was a terrible actress but they still put her in things because it's like well she's a supermodel you know and jerry hall would have been had we had that title then the supermodel is like limited to like a 10 year period of time you know no one has been a supermodel since they probably won't be again so like i see it well if that's the case then i hear the sirens going right now and we gotta figure out then if we have this pilot it's not getting picked up but we want to retool it. How do we get that going? So we're the show doctors. So here's my pitch, Will, because you've told us how we could work with what we have. But in my opinion, if we wanted to make this show a star vehicle for Dinah Manoff, which I think is really what it needed to be, I'd be all for it. But I'm still saying dump Jerry Hall, rewrite the Maris character as less of a rich airhead and more of a self-centered diva. Now, you might say that's cliche, but there's a reason actors like Delta Burke on Designing Women and Jasmine Guy on Another World, like they were so memorable. They're haughty and judgmental and opinionated and fashionable but to this ridiculous degree and that's where the comedy was to be found in my opinion like taking them down a peg or two in episodes plus they could eventually be humbled and you would feel some sympathy for them but they always kind of go back to their old tricks you know but we understand now okay this is why they lean into their high society persona but they are still all about it but i would honestly i would do a page one rewrite 
where you have the same setup for Edie. So she's characters been left by her husband for a younger woman. But now I say she's a makeup artist for fashion models. And she's having a bad day. She has a wild confrontation with a stuck-up aging model named Catherine, played by Morgan Fairchild. She would have just ended her run on Falcon Crest. And that leads to Edie getting fired and Catherine being blacklisted by the industry, who they all secretly hated her anyway for her diva behavior and then on the way out that they're getting pushed out the door they end up stuck in a malfunctioning elevator together again lower cliche but for the pilot episode it works and they have these comedic arguments they're defending their opposing lifestyles you know but they end up finding that common ground where both their husbands left them for younger women but after uh, hatching a scheme to get revenge on the cheating husbands and they fulfill it together Catherine and Edie really realize they admire each other they still don't see eye to eye on hardly anything, but they decide to go into business with each other to start their own modeling agency, kind of stick it to all the people that kick them out, you know, would make it work. Now they're going to bring in these young girls and they're going to train them up and show them how to do it. And I think with that setup, you have a lot of room for celebrity cameos each week. You get some slobs versus snob style wackiness. You get workplace humor. Like there's so much. It's like, it's like dynasty meets just shoot me. Sort of. It's kind of what I see. And I, you, you have the sex appeal of the models coming in. Like, I think this one, the network's like, yes, we'll take it. But what do you say, Will? I like that. I, I like that a lot because you hit on something that was a problem for me in that Maris is younger than Edie, but she wields more power because of her looks and her career. But I need someone like a Morgan Fairchild. I don't want them to end as friends. I want them to end with mutual respect because that puts forth the boundaries that allow Edie to work for Maris. In the current situation, the, she is buying her friendship. You know, it's like, are you going to be friends or are you going to be colleagues? I like your situation more because it resolves that issue. My only problem is the timeline. I like your idea for a pilot in 1990. Hmm. I don't like it for 86. It's all about timing. 86, I think it has to be how it is. You could still do the older person kind of deal with like the modeling agency, that kind of thing. Because again, the modeling agency being a hot thing and fashion magazines and all that, its boom was the supermodel. And the supermodel hasn't come around yet. The supermodel is still being designed in a lab. So it's like <laughs> any any time from like 1990 on, I think your concept works. Yeah, and I think you're right because 1990 is about the time you're starting to see the commercials for the Barbizon School of Modeling and all those that would come up for sure. Yeah, so it, I think it's it's this one dies and then they're retooling it over the years while Married with Children's becoming a hit. And then they say, what about this one? What about this one? What do you think? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have two ideas. I have past and present. So in the past, we've kind of already discussed it. And this is always my answer. But this is the era we play around in. First off, you put it in first run syndication. You don't get as many network notes. They pretty much guarantee you two seasons, but they really want to get to 100 episodes. 
episodes. So, like, you get your first season on NBC. NBC cancels it as they are wont to do. You get two to three more seasons in syndication. You got a nice DVD set you can sell 15 years later. So, what I would do put it in first run syndication and it follows that path I explained you know like they go into business together boyfriend actually wants Maris then we get into season five and season five can be a free-for-all season five they could buy a cabin in Vermont for all I care we're just trying to get those episode count numbers up for syndication you know <laughs> for strip syndication but if I were to do it now I would just give the script a polish because as I said before most of that stuff still applied. The, the pretty privileged thing, the parasocial relationships with celebrities, all that still works. The insecurity, the influencers making you feel bad about yourself, things like that. Casting-wise, though, for Dinah Manoff, you have to get someone who cleans up real well, but still isn't the first one looked at in the party. I would go with Tatiana Maslany. Wow. And then for Jerry Hall's Maris... I can't stand this actress because I don't think she's a great actress, but she's famous because she's hot. So it's perfect. Sydney Sweeney. Oh, there she is. Star of Madam Web. <laughs> I'd never seen her before. Never heard her name before. And now everybody's reviewing Madam Web. They're like, oh, she's huge with this new generation. They all love her. I'm like, really? Never seen her before. <laughs> she's in Euphoria and it's nothing but nude scenes. That's what her career has been built on. I so see. now we're supposed to take her seriously. And it's like, but... <laughs> that's how it would update it now and i would put it i'd put it on nbc again because they're kind of hurting and i think it would work all right so if the show had gone into production and been a hit we have to wonder how it would have changed certain productions the stars and creators would go on to be involved in over the next few years so we're going to look into that alternate reality with a new segment called what might have been Okay, well, so I know that the wheels have been turning in your mind, and we've kind of mentioned this again on the other episodes as, as we were teasing into this, you know, there's the whole idea, okay, if you get your way, and this is going five seasons, that is taking us into 1991, and there's a lot that happens in their careers, at least for the actors, between then and 1991. So th the question I have for you is like, what's the biggest impact you think it has is it the fact that moy and levitt don't do married with children because they already have a hit or is it that dina Manoff doesn't get on empty nest like what are you thinking the biggest impact is no married with children because what people have to understand is where moy was in his career at this point and that's what i took away from that four hour interview is that I really relate to him in a lot of ways. Like, and he had a really interesting career, like starting in the Jeffersons. Well, starting in good times. Yeah. But he made his, he worked his way up through the Jeffersons. And the point that he made was that he wanted to make escapist TV. 
he didn't want messages. So that was always a problem because like when he got to good times, the younger people wanted to have fun while the older people wanted the message. And that's how like John Amos famously got fired. You like left the show. And then in the Jeffersons, after a while, you notice they're just rich. They're not rich and black anymore. They're just rich. And like they stopped throwing around the race stuff. And Moy was just kind of like, I come from the school of thought that if you need to refer to a 24-minute sitcom to change your view on the world, then that's a problem. You know, he's like, I'm not here to raise your children. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm trying to make TV that my dad would have enjoyed. That after like dealing with a long week, he would come home and he would have 30 minutes of like something that just made him laugh. I just want to make people laugh, you know? So like... As we get into the 80s, Moy was kind of like characterized as the anti-Cosby. And he said that like he didn't hate the Cosby show, but as much as people loved it, there was an almost equal amount of people who hated it because that wasn't what they related to. So what brought Moy and Levitt together was this shared passion that they despised the traditional sitcom. Like you started out saying that like back in the day you had the nuclear family and all that. They hated that. In the 80s, that's all they had. Like look at it, like growing pains, who's the boss, family ties, like Everything was like a family show and they railed against that. So by the time this pilot failed, they were just kind of done with Hollywood. They were just kind of like, well, if everybody wants Cosby, we don't want to do Cosby. So like when they did Married with Children, it was kind of like a spitball session of like, well, what would our dream show look like? They never had any intent to pitch it to anyone. It was just kind of something like it was a passion project in their back pocket and an early fox show it fell apart they had a hole in the schedule for launch and they were desperate so they asked moy and levitt like do you guys have anything and they're like we have just the thing and they gave them married with children which would go on to brand fox like, I always talk about, like, the edginess and everything of Fox. That's due to Married with Children. And what I never realized was Fox hated that. <laughs> that, like, Fox never wanted that. So, like, throughout its, like, 11-season run, the network did everything it could to bury the show, but they couldn't cancel it because the ratings were so good. But it changed the network. They said that, like, the Fox brand got to be like synonymous with married with children when the executives wanted their brand to be synonymous with Tracy Ullman. They wanted their shows to be water cooler shows or as Moy put it, it's a show where you go, if you're in New York City and you go to a party at a townhouse and you say, oh, isn't she irreverent? Isn't she brilliant? While sipping your wine. Like that's what they wanted, that highbrow thing. And that's not what they got. That like they never even told the married with children cast they were canceled there's like the urban legend of apparently ed o'neill went home to ohio was leaving a home depot when someone came up to him was like hey sucks about your show he's like what are you talking about like after 11 years they didn't so it was like he had to get sick of what he saw on tv to get to the point to give us married with children. And its legacy is whatever it is. But like I think it kept Fox going during times when things were rough. 
And he would still be making forgettable NBC shows if this had gotten picked up. I think that's the biggest ramification. Yeah, well, and beyond that, because like you say, if Married with Children doesn't give Fox a foothold, we don't get The Simpsons. They're doing Tracy Ullman's show, but like if Fox is just tanking because Tracy Ullman's show was not a huge hit, like then you're just like, there's no Simpsons. I mean, for our purposes, there's no Parker Lewis can't lose. Boys will be boys. <laughs> Second chance. You know, like as so many things that we're going to be covering and have covered yeah like they would just have those ramifications now if we're watching you know she's with me on nick at night all these years later now it's it's in that syndication that's happening but so jerry hall becomes a fixture she probably gets her own spinoff sitcom where she really is like the solo star at some point but dinah manoff's not going to be on empty nest so does empty nest just tank like who's going to fill in for her on that show Empty Nest would have been fine. They would have found somebody. Yeah, you're right. Jerry Hall would have gotten Jerry. <laughs> that would have been her one season self-titled vehicle. But like as good as Dinah Manoff was on Empty Nest, anyone could have done Empty Nest. And this would be one of those things where it'd be interesting to know who like tested for it. Because I'm thinking like the chick who was McCall on Hunter could have been on Empty <laughs> You know, they could have kept it in the NBC family. Like the show would have been fine. Emptiness isn't really revered. See, that's why you're kind of the outlier because you like nurses. But a lot of people don't realize it's connected. But I'm like, I don't know anyone who loves Empty Nest, but not the Golden Girls. It's kind of a package. That's like finding somebody who's like, oh, I love the Ropers. <laughs> You know, so, so it's like, it really didn't matter as long as Richard Mulligan was still their next door neighbor and you got the Joey Suzu guy and all that stuff, it would have been fine. So Dinah, Dinah could have stayed. Jerry could have stayed. It's more the behind the scenes that would have had ramifications because like, then you don't get unhappily. Like, let's say Fox falls apart. If the fourth network didn't work, does anybody try UPN and WB? And then even if they do, then you don't have unhappily for WB because those ingredients came from married with children. And so it's just kind of like this trickle down effect. But no, like I, it stops there because Levitt would go on to produce five international versions of Married with Children. <laughs> like he didn't try anything else. Well, except for what we're going to be talking about next time around. We are finally ready to get into the WB network. It has been long enough. We've got to have that conversation. And there is another connection because nurses... Stephanie Hodge was on that particular show. She goes on to be a cast member on Unhappily Ever After for a brief moment. So uh, we're going to get into all those details. I'm so excited to talk about this in episode nine. Go find Unhappily Ever After, guys. The entire series is streaming on YouTube. You can find it. You can enjoy it and uh, relive those moments. We're going to have a lot of stories to share, I am sure. But in the meantime, if you have any particular thoughts about the alternate reality in which she's with me is a hit you can uh, find us on social media uh, i'm at hoju coolander and i'm at william b west 
Yes, indeed. So the Retro Network is now Geekster. We want you to hop on board with all the fun that is going on, especially the month of March is comic book month. Will and I are both comic book fans. We haven't talked about any comic book TV just yet, but I'm sure that time will come. And you can actually win a vintage prize pack of comic books if that is your jam. But we just want you to contribute, share your stories of your fandom, share your collections. Just go to the RetroNetwork.com, Geekster, Banner, look right under underneath it there's a submit an article link you can click that tell us your stories we'd love to hear it but hey until next time we're changing the channel This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.